So today we're starting a new sermon series uh, called Dysfunctional Families of the Bible. I'm excited about this. We'll spend the rest of the summer kind of thinking uh, and talking about uh, these different stories of families in the Bible who, um, well, let's just say you may not necessarily want to follow their example, but they do provide a lot of truth in them. Um, there's a lot that we can learn from them and uh, about them and about ourselves as well. Uh, and I think a lot uh, about God's grace in the midst of all of that. Um, and so I'm really hoping this, this uh, series will accomplish a couple of things. Uh, you know, first of all, that there is no such thing as a normal family, quote-unquote. We all have crazies. We all have issues. We all deal with different things. We all have things that uh, we wish were different. Um, And we all have issues of brokenness and broken relationship that needs mending and forgiveness and and all of these things. And I think that's what these stories will represent to us. And and secondly, I, I want this series hopefully to communicate that God's grace is ultimate, that God's grace is present even in the craziest and most chaotic situations, uh, working in and through the lives of imperfect people, uh, because there just is no such thing as a perfect person. Um, And so I'm hoping that this series will communicate those two things. So I had the chance to uh, warm up this sermon in the 8.30 service. So that's why I've got my dress shoes on this morning. So I apologize uh, that uh, I'm a little dressed up this morning. Um, I hope you'll forgive me for that. Let's pray. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open and all desires known. And from you no secrets are hidden. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. That we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um, I want to start with a story by comedian Ron White. Um, so, bear with me on this one. Bear with me on this one. So, Ron uh, tells this story of how he was in New York City one night and he was in a bar and doing what people in bars do, and uh, having a good time. Well, he eventually drinks a little bit too much, and gets a little rowdy, and gets kicked out of the bar, and finds himself drunk in public. And, you know, he says, you know, I didn't want to be drunk in public, I wanted to be drunk in a bar. But now he's drunk in public, and that's against the rules, and uh, the police come along, and they arrest him for being drunk in public. Kids don't get drunk in public, okay? That's not the moral of the story. So the, the officer arrests him and, and starts to read him his, his rights and says, you know, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you can and say, or anything you say or do can and will be used against you in the court of law, so on and so forth. Um, I haven't heard that phrase too many times in my life, so I don't have it perfectly memorized. Um, and, and so Ron, in his, you know, very alert state, responds to the officer and says, Officer, I know I have the right, but I don't think I have the ability. 
I have the right to remain silent, but I don't have the ability. And I think that's kind of where this story in Genesis is. They have these options to choose from, and they have the right to choose from these variety of options. And yet they are at a point in their lives where their will is not attuned to God's. And so they don't have the ability to choose the good. And that's where we find ourselves in this story. And thank you to Jan for reading all of that. That was uh, like two or three Sundays worth of reading. So you're off the hook for a while. Appreciate that. There's a long couple of stories, and I left some stuff out that we'll get to. But I want to start with, I want to start with the Adam and Eve story, and then we'll talk about Cain and Abel, because they actually have a similar structure. They have a similar, kind of some parallels. And so Adam and Eve find themselves face to face with the serpent, or actually it says Eve does to begin with. And the serpent begins asking questions, probing questions. And it says that this, surf, this serpent was more crafty than all the other wild animals. And that word in Hebrew is anum. And it's a play on words with nakedness, which is talked about later, which is anomim. And what's being related here is that the craftiness of the serpent directly leads to the eventual shame of the people. And so the serpent begins asking questions. And we often give the serpent a bad rap. And a lot of um, kind of uh, medieval theologians began to liken the serpent to the, the devil of, of some sort. But really what's happening here is the serpent is simply making Eve and Adam think, and giving them other options. And so what happens is the serpent, very craftily, asks, did God really say that you cannot eat of any of the fruit of the trees of the garden? And this is kind of a tricky question because it's, there's not a yes or no answer to that. Because God did say they could eat from the fruit of the trees of the garden, but just not this one. And Eve's response kind of betrays that she's been thinking about this quite a lot. Because she says, oh yes, God said we could eat from all the fruit of the trees of the garden, except for that one in the middle, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And, he, and God said that we cannot eat of it. In fact, we cannot even touch it or we'll die. And in fact, what God says, God God doesn't mention touching the fruit at all. Eve added that one on. She wanted to stay as far away from it as possible, but it also betrays the fact that she's been thinking about that tree. (laughs) She's been thinking about that fruit. And the serpent then responds to her, Oh, you won't die. You're not going to die. Don't worry about that. God doesn't want you to eat of it because you're going to become like God, knowing good and evil. And what we find out later in the story is that the serpent's actually telling the truth. 
they don't die immediately. And in fact, their eyes are opened and they recognize their nakedness. And they are ashamed and afraid. And so into their lives are introduced shame and fear and anxiety. Because now they have broken one of the commands of God. Broken relationship with God. So God comes along walking in the garden. This seems to be God's preferred way of relating to humanity, to become like one of us and to talk with us personally. And God calls out, where are you? And Adam says, I, we hid because we were afraid, because we were naked. And God says, well, who told you you were naked? You weren't supposed to know those things. You were innocent. You were naive. You weren't aware of all of these things. And Adam, and, and, and he says, did you eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden? And Adam immediately becomes defensive and starts to point fingers and play the blame game. And in fact, he blames God first. He says, the woman that you put in here, she's the one that led me astray. So he, in one sentence, points the finger at God and at Eve. <laughs> and so then God goes to Eve and says, what happened here? And Eve continues to pass on the anxiety and the fear and points the finger to the serpent and says, this serpent that you made led me astray. And so God curses the serpent and uh, says he, that the serpent's going to crawl on his belly and eat dust and all of these kinds of things and then kicks them out of the house and says, you've got to go work for a living now. You've got to go figure this out on your own. And you're going to have to give birth now. And it's going to hurt like heck. And all of these things that are now consequences of your actions. The natural consequences of your actions. And now we go to the story of Cain and Abel. And we see sort of a like father, like son type thing going on here. And one of the rules of family systems is that typically the, uh, what, would, what would you call it? The um, issues that occur around one generation almost always get passed on to the next generation and so on and so forth. The issues related to fear and anxiety and acceptance, these get passed on from Adam and Eve to their children. So, Adam and Eve have two sons, and Cain is born, and Abel is then born, and they both grow up, and Cain becomes a farmer, and Abel becomes a sheep herder. It's just like the musical Oklahoma. <laughs> the farmer and the cowman can't be friends, right? They just can't. And then you've got to sing a song about how the farmer and the cowman should be friends. 
Because one likes to, what, push a plow, the other likes to, oh, come on, guys. Chase a cow. Oh, the farmer and the cowman should be friends, right? Have you not seen the musical Oklahoma? All right. Anyway, it's, it reflects this age-old rivalry between farmers and sheep herders or cowmen or whatever you want to call it. These two kind of competing different jobs in an agrarian society. And as time goes on, they want to give an offering back to God, to worship God, to show God some love. And Cain gives some stuff. And Abel then gives his best stuff. And God, it says in the NRSV, shows regard for Abel's offering, but has no regard for Cain. I have to admit, this seems a little bit unfair. Um, I'm not quite sure why there was a difference in regard for the two offerings. It may have to do with the fact that Abel gave his best stuff, but Cain really didn't. We don't really know. Whatever the case may be, Cain gets ticked off about this, and his countenance falls, it says. And he's dejected. And he's feeling the anxiety of not being accepted. He's feeling fearful. See, these issues keep getting passed on. And just like Adam and Eve are given a choice and they are, he has the right to choose the good, it seems his will is not attuned to God's yet and he does not have the ability to. God presents to him and says, Cain, why are you upset? What's wrong? What's going on? You know you have a choice here. Sin is lurking at your door. Oh, this is just, you know, deep, dark, brooding language. Sin is lurking at your door. Its desire is to have you, but you must master it. And what does Cain do? With almost out, with, without almost a moment's hesitation, Cain immediately goes and finds his brother Abel and says, Abel, let's go out to the field, and then kills him. He's given the right to choose, but he doesn't seem to have the ability to choose what is good. And the sins of one generation are passed on to the next generation. And the fear and the anxiety continues on. See, that's what sin does. It it breaks relationships. And it has sometimes unintended consequences. But always there are consequences. When I was about 10 years old, my sister and I were playing a great game of I bet you're scared of a fly. You remember this game when you're a kid and you try and snap in front of the other person's eyes and you try to make them blink? Well, so we began to escalate that game a little bit. And we, were, we started out snapping both fingers and then we were clapping each other's faces. And then I got this brilliant idea. And I said, 
I bet you're going to be scared of this fly that I go get. And I ran in the house and I got my slingshot. And, and I came back out. Okay, the slingshot was not loaded. I did not have anything in the slingshot. It was empty. But I came back out and I said, I bet you're scared of this fly. Whoop! And let go and flop right on her nose. I did not mean to hit her in the face, okay? Just meant to stun her a little bit. Well, of course, she got furious and went inside and told on me, and I got my slingshot taken away, my natural unintended consequence. And, you know, I was grounded for, I don't know, months. And the lesson, but, but listen to this, though. To this day, there is still just the faintest little mark on her nose. See, I think sometimes the actions that we take when we break relationship, especially in the midst of family situations, they can leave marks that last a long time. And at some point, we've got to figure out how to break the cycle of fear, of failure, of anxiety that gets passed on from generation to generation. We've got to learn how to take responsibility for our actions and to not pass the blame and point the fingers and say, no, it's you, no, it's you, no, it's you, because we can't handle our own stuff. I think everybody should be in counseling, like seriously. Because we all have stuff that we've dealt with, has been handed down to us, that we probably don't always realize is there. And if we don't deal with it, if we don't confront it, it will linger and we'll continue to pass it on. We'll continue to point the finger and pass the blame and shift the anxiety away from ourselves. Because that's just how humans work. Now, in, in the scripture reading, uh, to try and be as gracious as possible <laughs> with two stories to be read, I left out the conclusions to both stories. In the Adam and Eve story, they realize that they're naked. They realize their shame. They become anxious about it. They become fearful about it. And so what do they try and do? They try and cover it up, like every kid would do, right? And they sew fig leaves together to make garments. Have any of you ever uh, seen a fig leaf or felt a fig leaf? Anybody? Okay, David has. But I saw him back there. Blake did. Okay. What does it feel like? It's real rough and scratchy. It's like nature's sandpaper. So these geniuses decided to go make sandpaper underwear to wear around. And they're just, you know, just brilliant ideas flowing at this moment as they begin to as they continue to point the blame and share the shame and all of this they end up with scratchy underwear that's what you get 
But God, in God's graciousness, at the end of this story, sews them garments made out of animal skins and says, okay, here you guys, seriously, this is what you need to do. Now, you're going to go, you're going to go work for a living, you're going to go have kids, you're going to be fruitful and multiply, all those things are going to be hard now, but it's time to grow up. I, I really think this story is kind of a coming of age story. It's a story of becoming, uh, coming out of innocence and naivety to the real world and learning that you don't know everything. I know it's hard, teenagers, for you to realize this, but we don't know everything. Our parents actually do know a few things. And then at the end of the Cain story, this, this person who had just in cold blood out of spite and fear and anxiety killed his brother complains to God and said, you can't send me away. You can't make me a wanderer. Cain basically has the same repercussions. He gets kicked out of the house. Same repercussions as his parents. What am I to do? Someone's going to see me and, and kill, want to kill me too. And God gives him a mark to protect him for the rest of his days. In both situations, God offers grace in the midst of just a chaotic situation. And this is the first family of the Bible. <laughs> I was kind of scratching my head this week wondering why on earth would the authors want to present this <laughs> as the first family? And I think it's because of what I said at the beginning. There is no such thing as a normal family. We all have issues that we deal with. And we need to understand the consequences of brokenness and of broken relationships and our need to ask for and offer forgiveness and healing and wholeness in our family systems. Because each one of us is presented with the right to choose whatever it is that is before us. But the question is, will we have the ability and it is only by God's grace that we are able to choose the good. And so I think what this story tells us is that we must stay connected to God. We must stay connected to God in order for God to give us the ability to choose the good. In the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, it says, Tune my heart to sing thy praise. It is up to God to tune our hearts to God's. When I tune my violin, if I'm just a little bit off, I'm literally on a completely different wavelength than the rest of the orchestra. We have to be perfectly in tune in order to be on the same wavelength. Tune my heart to yours, O oh God, so that we are running on the same wavelength, so that we are together, so that my will is yours, so that your will is mine, so that my desires are yours, your desires are mine. That is what it's all about. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.